Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. A wife can be a husband's most significant asset, or she can be a complicating liability in the marriage. I think most of us know this about our complementary roles in our marriages, but I wonder how many wives have thought through how to be an asset to their husbands by humbly leading them while submitted to them. Though a wife's calling is to a particular role of submission in the marriage, that is the role, it doesn't mean that she can't step into a Christ-like leadership example to her husband as a co-equal image bearer. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. Please go to our coffee shop. It is our sanctification center. It is in cyberspace. Many of our resources are free to you, and we have thousands of them in a read, watch, listen format. In fact, you can read, watch, or listen to what I'm sharing to you, with you right now. The title of it is, How a Wife Can Lead Her Husband. Now, I realize that this is going to be a counterintuitive thought to many women, some men may even rail against it, but it is biblical, and so I trust that you would give me a listen, and I hope that God will use this to help many marriages because there are a lot of women, there are a lot of wives that God has gifted in unusual ways, always different from our from the husband. I mean, every wife is different from her husband, meaning that she has assets, uh, that she has abilities that her husband does not possess. She is a rib and Adam is ribless. And so the smart husband wants to leverage his assets and the wife wants to step into that responsibility as a co-equal image bearer. And so I want to talk about that for just a few moments. Again, the title of this is How a Wife Can Lead Her Husband. Because you are equal to your husband, though submitted in your role as a, as a wife, may I ask you two questions about how you humbly disciple your husband by your Christ-like example? Question number one, how are you using your gifts, your strengths, your skills, your talents to help your husband to be a better person? Question number two, how do you use your God-given insight and wisdom to serve your husband, helping him to see things with more clarity. Two is much better than one. And when a, when a wife has a perspective that is different from her husband's, which she always will have, then you want to merge those things together and you want to talk. Having another set of eyes, how fabulous is that? I have often asked these two questions to wives, and I want to share with you three of the more common responses that I receive. Now, the first one is a, is a humble response, and I trust this will represent many of you. She would say, I didn't know that I could help him lead. Tell me more. Now, that's where you want to be. Well, there are two other common responses as well. One of them goes like this. Why does he need me to help him to do what he should do? 
Now, that is an unusual response, and I trust that it's not representative of you because that is a person that doesn't understand one flesh. I mean, that is that is some kind of marital insanity because you're pulling against each other if one part is not going to help the other part in the one flesh union. But sometimes I hear that. And I understand why I hear that in most cases, that uh, the wife has, has gone into a bitter place because the marriage has, has gone down the road long enough and there's been so much conflict in the marriage that she's frustrated and you will hear that frustration come out. And I do understand that. But nevertheless, we can't hold on to that position. And so the second response is, why does he need me to help him to do what he should do? And then sometimes I will hear this, why are you putting the weight of his failures in my lap? And so let me tackle this third response first. If he has sin in his life, hear me clearly. It's between him and God. Each of us has a moral responsibility to God not to sin. And blaming others for our transgressions, that is not an option. It's not a biblical option. My questions about a wife being a Christ-like example in leading, it has nothing to do with imposing a false sense of guilt on her. But it's all about her living out the gospel. I mean, think about it this way. The gospel. Though Christ, the gospel, was not responsible for our sins, what did he do? He deliberately came alongside us to help us win while we were sending our brains out against him. The question here is not about tallying, tallying up faults in the marriage or placing blame in the wrong places. No, not at all. Jesus saw a need and he knew that he could meet it. So what did he do? He humbled himself to the cross. We had a problem. He wanted to help us with our problem. Perhaps you recall the story in the Bible about the Good Samaritan. It carries a similar idea. Let me share part of that story with you. It is in Luke chapter 10, by the way. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to help him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Jesus asked this question, which of these three, the, the, the two that didn't help and the one that did, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. The story's point is that when we see a need, we should seek to fill it if we can. This man saw an opportunity and he decided to set aside his plans for the day to help a fellow struggler. One of the most profound demonstrations and motivating examples of the gospel in a marriage is when a wife is willing to set aside what she wants out of the marriage so that she can help her husband become a better man, to become a better leader. 
Isn't this what the Father did for us? Though he was in the form of God, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I just shared with you Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. Jesus set aside the life that he enjoyed with his father to come to earth as our first missionary to help us to become what we could not become without his assistance. And now he is calling us to model what the Savior modeled for us. The Father is appealing to us to set aside our preferences for the greater good of others. If you back up in Philippians just a few verses, you will hear this. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so we die to ourselves daily. However, the Savior's death was not the end of the story as you was listening to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Eventually, the Father highly exalted Jesus to his former position with the Father. Because of his sacrificial work on the cross, there will be a day when he will thoroughly enjoy the fruit of his sacrifice with millions of people who have accepted his finished work. He will get what he paid for. He will receive the fruit of his labors, the fruit of his hands, and there is a picture that we can emulate. And I trust that you're one of those people that have received his salvation. It's so easy to lose this gospel perspective and challenge, especially when the demands of the day or the disappointments of others begin to drain the joy of Christ from our souls. Losing this gospel-centered focus is especially tempting when a husband is a royal knucklehead. The dawning reality that a husband is not what the wife hoped for, it can overwhelm her. Perhaps she spent her childhood thinking about her prince. You won't know this, but interwoven in this sentence is a picture of of my wife. She is from Erie, Pennsylvania. She lived a few miles from the lake up on a hill, a hilly hilly part of, of Erie, Pennsylvania. She would go to the end of her drive. She would prop herself next to a big old rock, as I understand the story, and she could see from her uh, from her uh, pinnacle there in her neighborhood, she could see Lake Erie, and she could see the sun uh, going over the horizon. And she would sit there, and she would think about her prince showing up. And then she found him, <laughs> only to be surprised that he is not as princely as she hoped. The pen was put in the bubble of her dream. This kind of disappointment, it can circumvent biblical clarity and gospel initiatives. 
Instead of working toward maturing the marriage through her humility, through her talents, through her Christ-like example, her desire for something better can overpower her will. It can capture her mind. The disappointment can be too profound. There is such a huge difference between the dating relationship when we put our best foot feet forward and then we marry each other and then both feet are are there and we see the whole story it's a typical trap as our disappointment overwhelms us the most common response to my gospel appeal when i talk about these things is you don't know my husband you have not lived with my husband well of course I mean, that would be correct. I don't know him, and I don't live with him day to day. But I do know that if he is like me, then, well, he is selfish. He also sins in other ways. He can sometimes be insensitive. He can sometimes be stubborn, too, if he is similar to me. There can also be a lack of repentance, making your desire to come alongside him appear daunting. I, I mean, I get it. You're right. I understand. I do not know your husband, but maybe another way that you can think about this, or in addition to, do you sin in response to some of your husband's behaviors? Well, if you answered yes, which I know you have because you're like me too, you've sinned against him. He has sinned, you have sinned, and so have I. Then that is where that you need to start leading your husband. Nobody can make a biblical case for sinning against another person, regardless of what they do to us. Perchance you sin against your husband because of his sins against you. Okay, well, let's start there. Because that is the perfect place for you to begin leading him. And you can do that through the humble confession of your sin, followed by asking for forgiveness. What better example could you offer your husband? I mean, I'm sure he needs to repent of something too, but how beautiful would it be if you led him by your example of repentance? I mean, isn't this how you parent your children? You teach them through your example? A picture is worth a thousand words. Imagine what a clear picture of the humble Christ would look like to someone who desperately needs to see him practically presented like your husband does. God has repeatedly used my wife's gifts and strengths throughout our marriage to help me to be a better husband. She has been a remarkable practical example of what I see Christ doing in Philippians chapter 2. He temporarily set aside his comfort for the betterment of others. She has often set aside her preferences to lead me to a more transformative understanding of Christ, of who he is, and what my responsibility is to lead like him. And her responses have convicted me of sin while motivating me to be a better leader in our home. Now, I understand when I talk about confessing your sin to your husband I know that in some situations, the husband can be a brute. He can be brutish. And I realize that it might not be wise to make yourself that transparent or that vulnerable to him now. 
I do understand that. And if that is the case, then what you want to do is you want to beg God to give you the right attitude toward your husband while seeking forgiveness for your sin against God. There might be a better day to transact forgiveness with your husband because he's brutish right now. Sometimes it's not wise to transact forgiveness, but it's never right to permit evil to harbor, to fester, to capture a soul. And so minimally, you must confess your sin to God while begging him to give you the right attitude for him toward your husband, even though this is not the best day to go to him in transparency, in humility, in vulnerability, and ask him to forgive you of something because he can take that and manipulate it. He's a brutish man and use it against you, but that should not detain you or deter you from pleading with God, receiving God's forgiveness for any sin against your husband, and then asking God to give you an attitude of forgiveness toward him, even though you can't transact at this point. Yes, but, and that's what comes next. Someone will say, what if I do all this and my husband does not change? Well, you that just means you are a realist. I mean, you may be right. I, I, I'm not even thinking about your husband changing. I'm thinking more about you and your heart attitude toward your husband. Change is not something that you control or I. I mean, he likely not he, he will likely not change. If you purify your heart and prepare your soul to lead him like Christ leads you, I mean, okay, he might not change. He may never change. But that should not be the first question that you should ask. The first question that you want to ask is, why am I doing this? Why do you want me to do this? And so, Maybe I could ask it this way. Do you model Christ before your husband primarily because of what? Because you want him to change? I mean, is that the why question? I mean, the only reason I'm doing this is because I want him to change. Or are you modeling Christ before your husband because you want to honor God regardless of what your husband does? That's the two questions that I've asked you are watershed questions. It's going to either lead you this direction or that direction, but those two questions are radically different. You're going to be Christ to him so that he will change and you will get what you want. The desire is not bad, but the motive is wrong. The reason you want to do this is because you want to honor God despite or regardless of what your husband does. There is a story in the Bible about a young rich man who would not change either. When he encountered Jesus, this rich man realized that he had to sell everything that he had and follow Christ. Here's how the young man responded to the Savior, quote, But when he heard these things, when he heard what Jesus told him, Jesus told him, go and sell everything that you have and follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Close quote. That is Luke 18, 23. I do not know what happened to this rich man because the Bible does not tell us. We do know what happened to Jesus, though. He kept being Jesus, 
Even when some of those around him would not change, he kept doing Jesus' things. Because his motivation was not, what's in it for me? I will do these things conditionally if you change and meet my desires and my preferences. No, that was not his motivation at all. Jesus would do Jesus' things regardless of how others reacted to him because his motivation was to do the will of his Father, to glorify him. And that is what drove him. He was not managed by what people did or did not do. God gives grace to the humble if you walk in the humility of Jesus, even when you are not getting all you want you will repeatedly be surprised by His grace. I wish I could tell you something different, but I can't. I talk to people who want better marriages, better children, better parents weekly. We have supporting member forums. These are private forums that only our financial partners can access and dialogue with me and our our team. And Every week, I mean, I've dealt with those forum questions today. One of them's titled, Miserable Marriage. That's what it's titled, and that is not unusual. It's not an anomaly. Sometimes it just does not work out the way that we want. That is the reality of the world in which we live. Sometimes people do not ever change. But you can do some things even when others will not cooperate. I had a friend give me a piece of advice in 1989, and I've never forgotten it. He said this, I can't make you love me, but you can't stop me from loving you. That was an outstanding piece of advice. I needed to hear that that night. He told me this when I desperately wanted someone to change their mind about our relationship. It was my first wife. I tried to change, and I was ready to commit to doing my part. But that person never changed, never, ever changed. And I felt the helplessness and the hopelessness of my unchangeable situation. But my friend's advice was spot on, and it became invaluable to me then, and I have used it many times since. I cannot make you love me. I cannot make you do as as I hope that you would do to me, for me. But you cannot stop me from caring about you. You cannot stop me from loving you. You cannot stop me from being Christ to you. And so I had to decide whether I would love others, even my enemies, as Jesus told us, love your enemies and their response to me. It could not alter my love for them, even if my love looked like confrontation and corrective care. And I add this because sometimes people have been so psychologized by our culture or enculturated by our culture that when they hear the love, they actually hear the word love, they actually define it as the culture defines love, which is some kind of gooey, messy love that has no teeth in it. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do to a person is confront them, but you do that out of a heart of love, not out of a heart to be punitive or because you are exasperated with them. And so what I'm focused on here is your motive for leading your husband. And James said, he talked about it this way in 4.3, 
He said, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so the first question is, why do you want to lead your husband well? Do you want to teach him so that you can have a great marriage? That's a good desire. I'm not throwing it under the bus. It's a biblical desire, but it is not the best reason to lead him because you will set up conditionality in your responses to him, and you will measure his responses, which will calculate what you do next. And that is not a formula. That is not a path that you want to go down. Do you want to lovingly lead him because you want to make God's name great? Now, that is the best reason of all. If God's fame is not your primary motive, then you must do some heart work before you go to the practical steps of working on your marriage. You must spend time with your father to adjust your heart for the challenging task that is ahead of you. I cannot say any clearly, any more clearly than do not skip this vital step. Ask God to give you the grace you need to love an unlovable, unlovable person. He will provide you with that grace if you ask with the right motive. You see, God can see in the darkness of our hearts. He, he knows everything about us, our intentions, our thoughts. We're naked. We're exposed to him. He precisely knows what your motives are. I mean, you can fool others, but you won't trick him. How you think and what you want are not hidden from him. If you believe what I'm asking you to do is a more significant burden than you can carry, then appeal to someone from your local church, for example, to help you. Don't be afraid to seek help. You will not dishonor your husband if you find support for your marriage. It's another way that you can lead him while submitting to him. It, it's a way to respect your one flesh covenant. Again, respect, honor, love, those things aren't gushy. Those things can have teeth in them. And sometimes loving someone will lead you to do some very hard things out of a heart of love. If you have humbly appealed to him to change and he has not, let him know that you will talk to a church leader about these matters. You will not be sinning if you choose this course of action. You're, you're, in, you're in one of the most challenging spots that a wife can be in when a husband is unkind and unwilling to change. And as I've said, he may never change. The truth is only God can grant repentance and there is no guarantee. There's no formula here. I'm not laying out seven steps to your best marriage now. No, your marriage may never change. God may never grant repentance to a sinning husband, making your motive to come alongside him essential for you to clarify before you take any next steps. I know that you're grateful to God, that he did not give up on you, but he kept loving you while you were a sinner. And we want to emulate this gospel truth. I am not suggesting that you withhold correction or other hard things from him, as I've already said two previous times. But you'll have more clarity on what to do after you clarify and recalibrate your motive for being Jesus to him. The title of this is How Can a Wife Lead Her Husband? You can read this. You can watch it. 
Of course, you can listen to it in a podcast. As I wrap this up, I want to ask you a few questions. Question number one, why is it right for a wife to lead her husband while submitting to him? You must be able to ask that question. There's no, to answer that question, there is no contradiction between her role, submission as a wife, and her responsibility as a co-equal image bearer. And so the question is, why is it right for a wife to lead her husband while submitting to him? Question number two. Where does your mind go when you think about your husband never changing? I mean, we have to say the quiet part aloud because, as I said, that is a possibility because God grants repentance, and this is not a formula. This is not seven steps to your best marriage now. And so what goes through your mind when you think about your husband never changing? What changes must you make to ensure sin-captivating thoughts do not captivate you? You'll really have to take your soul to task here uh, because as you, as you look down the future and, and you think about the possibility of your husband not changing, uh, it could be very easy for you to spin into despair. And so what changes must you make to ensure captivating thoughts do not captivate you? Number three, what things do you need to clear out of your heart before thinking about how to help your husband? Because what happens here is that we accumulate sinful thoughts, bad attitudes. We can have the wrong things that begin to cluster and to gather and collect in our hearts and cluster around our hearts. And so before you take those steps of speaking into his life, you really do need to think about motives, which I've talked a lot about. But there can be some other things that have glommed onto your heart. And so you want to think about those things. And the question, the follow-up question is, why is it crucial to purify your heart before discipling him? I think you know the answer to the question. I don't know if you've ever been corrected by someone who had a bad attitude towards you. But they didn't hide their attitude, no matter how much they thought they had worked through it, no matter how much they thought they had overcome this, that they have clarified and purified their heart. But then when they started talking to you, you could feel it. It had a nice edge to it. We can't mask our attitudes toward people. And so if we haven't done the heart work back in the closet, when we step out into the public space and say things to that person who's been annoying to us, well, the corrective care that they need to hear will get lost by the attitude that accompanies the thing that we said. And so you need to really clarify your mind and purify your heart. Number four, if your husband is brutish, manipulating, and mean-spirited, it is not wise to confess your sins against him, the ones that are against him, to confess them to him, because he will turn those things back onto you, complicating the relationship. I said that earlier, but I wanted to put it in the call to action. And then here's a couple of questions for you. Number one, will you confess those things to God? You might not confess them to your husband right now, but will you confess those things to God? Number two, will you plead with the Lord for an attitude of forgiveness towards your husband? Though it's unwise at this point to transact forgiveness with your husband. And so confess those sins against your husband to God, and then ask God to give you a heart attitude of forgiveness toward him so that when you do talk to him, this is the process of purifying your heart, 
Number five, what friend will you enlist to help you to think rightly about your marriage? Now, you need someone who knows you and, and dares to speak the truth in love. You need a courageous friend. I've titled this, How a Wife Can Lead Her Husband. Again, go to lifeovercoffee.com. You can read, you can watch, and you can listen. If you are a part of our supporting community, then please know that we have uh, our private forums. Nobody in the world can access them but those who financially underwrite our ministry. I want you to underwrite our ministry because we need your help. We give away thousands of resources freely. They're shared all over the planet, and I praise God for that. Uh, but it is an expensive ministry, and we do need much support. Uh, but we also want to honor you, and that's why we have our supporting forum. So it's a community, and we're talking there every day. They've been on it today. And there's a lot of people that participate in our forums, but they never say anything. Uh, they're reading, they're watching, they're benefiting from the interaction. Because here I'm just sharing something and, and it's one size fits all. But I know that a thousand people read this article and it will apply in a thousand different ways. That's the nature of what's going on here. But in our forums, one person will ask about the application of this, and we can customize our care to that individual. And so the forums are a huge benefit to where you can receive unique, customizable care. And that is a big thing in our ministry because we recognize that everybody is different. And therefore, it's not one size fits all, uh, but we can't talk to everyone. And so we can only talk to the ones who commit to us financially. And so they do something for us. We do something from, for them. And of course, the entire world gets to benefit because they're underwriting our ministry. We're providing care for them. There's also a lot of disciples, biblical counselors who are on our forums as well, and they're continuing to grow in their gift of biblical counseling. And so these forums are a great spot. And if you would like to be part of them, whether you engage actively or if you engage passively by reading the content, all you have to do is to become a supporting member and you can do that. Otherwise, take this article, the podcast, the video, How a Wife Can Lead Her Husband, and share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.